Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast, where this week we are privileged to have Pastor Aaron Dowds giving a great message. Enjoy. To us all, whatever situation you face um, of great faith and faithfulness. So this morning, the main thing, and this is my passage, Matthew 22, 39, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, I'm just going to get my Bible. There we go. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we could just, uh, there we go, let me try this. Yeah, if we could put the mouse onto the screen, please, girls, just so I can use this. There we go, we click to the next one. Clara, if you could have a look and make sure this is uh, working for me, please. There we go. Let's just pray, shall we? Dear Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're in control. And we just welcome you to speak to us today, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, you're a good, good Lord. Would you help us to still our minds and our hearts and our souls right now that we may hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. How easy do you find it to love people different to yourself? The workplace is an excellent test for that. This is one of the pharmacies I used to work in, and this was a wonderful team that I worked with, and we were all incredibly different. One day I was struggling with one particular uh, member of staff who was very angry and very troubled and um, been very difficult in a, a number of different ways, and this went on for a number of days. And when people are dif- different from you, you start to ask yourself, does what I believe as a Christian, does it have to apply in the workplace? Do I have to love this person? Because very often the natural desire is not to. It's just to, for goodness sake, what is wrong with this person? They're just doing my nut in. I wish they would just get a grip of themselves and you just want to, uh, you know, go to town. But uh, felt the challenge. I'm a Christian. How does that impact my workplace? And I came to the conclusion I have to love this person. And we think love's a bit mushy and a bit soft. But um, I remember asking this person if we could have a chat through the back. And I just said, listen, how's things? And she just started to pour out what the issues were. And I felt I need to listen. And I said, well, I just want to let you know you're the best worker I've ever worked with. You're the hardest colleague I've ever worked with. Your work ethic is unbelievable. You're an absolute powerhouse, and I'm so grateful to have you on the team. And there are a few misunderstandings. Can we talk about them? We need to work this through. It wasn't easy. We managed to work them through. And she goes, oh, I didn't realize I didn't understand. I thought you thought this. I thought you didn't appreciate me. I thought you didn't think I was this, that, and the next thing. And wow, they're brilliant, aren't they? I'm blinded. <laughs> got a headache, man. <laughs> I'll just take some water instead. I'll nick somebody's water because I can't find me. And uh, we resolved it. Came through, and later that day, kid you not, the difference was night and day. Uh, it'd been for, for days and weeks. Night and day. And um, later on, a younger member of staff was giving me a bit of cheek. And this person stood up and says, Hey, you don't speak to your boss like that. We respect him in here. Let's <laughs> give God some praise for that. <laughs> You know, love, 
has to be the hallmark of Christianity. How easy do you find it to love people different from yourself? And how does our faith impact everything we do, including our workplace? For me, I was challenged in that situation to love someone. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean you ignore situations, ignore problems, ignore difficulties. It doesn't mean that we don't get to the bottom of them. But it does mean that our faith must impact every area of your life. How do you love God? Well, an Old Testament, in Old Testament we had the Jewish community, and there's a couple of approaches to how, how do you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul? There's a couple of approaches. The first one is strict adherence. I'm going to try my best to do everything God wants me to do. Not much different from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'm going to learn all the commandments of God. I'm going to learn all that God wants me to do, and I'm going to try my hardest to please them. And that will mean I am loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul. The important thing to, to know is that is very old covenant. We don't live under the old covenant. We live under a new covenant. When Jesus died, the temple, uh, the, 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 the big curtain thing, what was it called? The veil. The veil was torn in two, that big curtain thing. It was torn in two. The temple was no longer needed, and we we're under a new covenant. And you see, while it seems very pious to be um, so uh, focused on trying to know all God's commands as the Pharisees were, the problem can be it's actually all about me. It can be very self-absorbed and self focused is this desire for me to please God. The second approach is deeper. To please, what does it mean to love God with all my heart, mind, so I go deeper. So I must, um, so certain Christians approach, I must know the Bible more. I must know theology more. I must um, more understand prayer more. My experience of God must go deeper. I must become a better worshiper. I must become uh, I must grow in the prophetic. I must grow in healing. You know, all those things in and of themselves are not necessarily bad, but you know what? Very often, the same as the first approach, they're very often centered about me. It's about me. And why do I want them things? I want them because of me. And they have the tone and texture of the old covenant. The old covenant was, if you do good, if you obey all my commands, then I will bless you. Praise God we don't live by that anymore. That is dead. It's old. It's obsolete. It's ended. We're blessed because Jesus fulfilled every command, not me. I am blessed by faith and not by works. Because these approaches are very much a vertically orientated faith. What I mean is, it's about me and God, my personal walk, my personal relationship. But you know what? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's how they lived their life. They were so concerned to obey God and please God and do everything right. But you know what it left them? It left them self-absorbed, and they had very little compassion, empathy, and uh, love for their neighbor. Let's move on. Our passage for today, Matthew 24, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard 
that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This was an easy question. The rabbis knew the answer to this question. The rabbis had been teaching the people this person. This was an easy question that every good Jew in those days would know. We love God. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. They knew that. That was easy. So um, he asks the question, and of course Jesus answers, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So there's no surprises there. That's exactly what they expected God to say. But here is something uh, so powerful, so revolutionary, that he then goes on to say, this is the first, this is the greatest and first commandment. And that's what the Jews knew, and that's what the Jews understand, and that's what the Jews were focused on. And the way that a Jew in those days loved God with all the heart, mind, and soul was with complete adherence to the requirements of all the commandments, 613 plus of them, that they would know, memorize, and do their best to live by. It was a very vertical faith. It was about pleasing God. You know, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were very proud of the fact that they apparently loved God with all their heart, mind, and soul because they knew all the commandments. And according to them, they were living by them. But you know what? They did that while having disregard lack of empathy and compassion for their fellow Jew. And so Jesus is going to shake them up big time. He's going to say, you're thinking you're loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Wait a minute, let me show you what it really means. Because he says, and the second is like it. Wait a minute, he didn't ask Jesus which commandments, plural. He only asked which one. And Jesus is going to tell him, and I'm going to give you two. He's a bit... He didn't ask for two, he only asked for one, but he says the second is like it. He's going to introduce the revolutionary new ethic by which his new people, the Jesus followers, would be known by. He's going to introduce the ethic and the teaching and the understanding by which would be the focus of the new covenant, this new agreement that he has with his people. He said, the second is like it. And most commentators will agree that that phrase, is like it, means um, it's equal in importance, significance, and magnitude. I mean, if you've got five children, you say which one is most important. They're all equally important, but there's a sequence, there's a first, there's a second, there's a third. And so they're when he says the second is like it, it's not like it's of second importance, it's of equal importance, significance, and magnitude. And what was the second? The second one was, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is incredible because this is the first time in recorded history that these two Old Testament statements have been put together. This is brand new. Jesus is bringing the brand new priority. What is the main thing? If you want to be a Jesus follower, what is the main thing? What's the main thing? You know, it can get so complicated. It can get so difficult. Jesus was saying, I'm going to simplify it and boil it right down for you. Of all the 613 commandments, you just need to know one thing, the main thing. And if you can get this main thing and get focused on the main thing, you'll be loving me with all your heart. He put these two together. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, these weren't new. 
You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They weren't new. The Jews knew them. But the new thing was he coupled them together of equal uh, significance, importance, and put them together and was implying that you cannot obey commandment number one if you disregard commandment number two. That's where they were going wrong. They were obsessed with vertical commandment number one, obeying all the commandments while disregarding, like in the story of the Good Samaritan, we have the religious leaders of the day, the, the Pharisee and the Levite, the Jewish religious leaders. They thought they were obeying commandment number one, loving the Lord their God with all the heart, mind, and soul. Maybe focused going past that Jewish brother that had been beat up and left half dead on the side of the road. They walked past them, maybe because they were going to take care of their sacrifices. Maybe they were going to take care of their religious duty. Maybe they were trying to obey some commandment which caused them to disregard their Jewish brother that had been beaten up on the side of the road. And Jesus here is saying, you cannot obey commandment number one if you disregard commandment number two. Why? Because the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor of yourself. It's of equal importance and significance. And so in the Good Samaritan story, Jesus is pointing out that the religious leaders that were very proud of their stance with God and believed that they were higher in superiority in their morality and their spirituality than the, the riffraff down there, he was saying they completely missed the mark. They're not loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, and soul at all because it's not possible to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul if you disregard your neighbor. And this is a revolutionary, radical teaching of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. His new covenant people would be understood by if there's one thing that the new covenant people, Jesus' followers, should be known by is their love for one another. <laughs> And what is the reputation of a lot of Jesus' followers? Not their love for one another. Their criticism of one another. Their backstabbing of one another. Their moral superiority of one another. Their Facebook um, uh, attacks on people that they disagree with. But here we have this revolutionary Jesus. You see, in Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 1918, uh, we have... Um, those two commandments, but this is the first time that Jesus couples them together in this beautiful power and simple way that we uh, want as Jesus followers, as new covenant people to love, live by. And they're interconnected, and it's impossible to obey number one while disregarding number two. And yet, it's so easy to fall into that old covenant model of thinking where you can have people that are obsessed with their spirituality, who are obsessed with their Bible knowledge, and they're the most unloving people you will ever meet in your life. We can be obsessed with going to church, going to the conferences, buying the books. We can be obsessed with growing in the prophetic or growing in the healing. All good things in and of themselves, but is it can fall into old covenant pattern and thinking, the tone and texture of the old covenant, which is all about my personal relationship with God, as if that's the main thing. Jesus is redefining and it's saying, actually, that's not the main thing. The main thing involves that and coupled with love your neighbor as yourself. If you're disregarding your neighbor, if you're an unloving person, you're not loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul. So he's radically revolutionizing the way that they're thinking and saying, you know what? You think you're loving me with all your heart, mind, and soul, but your focus needs to shift 
to being a much more loving person, a much more. That's how the Jesus community followers were to know him by. That's how Jesus modeled his life. He came down to live as an example and a model of love. And he says, love one another as I have loved you. He loved them with a grace. He loved them by believing in them. He loved them by sacrifice. He said that, as I have loved you. That was, we think, oh, that means I've got to die for someone. He said that before he died. So his whole life was a model, an example of how I have to love my neighbor. I have to elevate them in importance. I have to give them opportunity. I have to show them grace. I have to love them when they're different from me and they're arguing and, you know, they've got pride and they've got anger and they, they, they despise me. They're robbing from my money kitty, but I love them anyway. And I still invite them to my final supper, even though one of them's stealing my money. <laughs> love one another as I have loved you. Christians should be the most, should have, and we don't have, and that's why we, you know, Christians worldwide have um, done themselves no favors when we are not known as the most community, loving community on the face of the earth. And people say, oh, but truth, but truth, but truth. There must be a garland of grace and truth. It must come with Love, of course Jesus spoke truth, but he'd done it in the spirit of grace and love. And then the verse goes on to say this most powerful thing that would be completely radical to his original Jewish listeners, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus saying of all the 600, that law and prophets is the way of saying all your Jewish scripture. All your Jewish scripture, all your 613 commandments, they all depend on these two. I'm going to simplify it down for you. I'm going to make it really simple and easy. Your main thing, your priority is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. All of the Old Testament scripture, all of the Jewish scripture, all of the law and prophets depend on these two things. And that's where I want you to focus on. And people think, well, that's a bit of lowering of the bar, is it not? That's a bit mushy and a bit soft and a bit vague. No, it's actually raising the bar. It's raising the bar because, you know, the, the Pharisees could come and say, oh, I've, never, I've never murdered anyone. I've fulfilled the great command. Do you backstab? Mm-hmm. Do you speak badly of your neighbor? Uh-huh. Do you ever get angry with them? Uh-huh. And Jesus was saying, well, guess what? You've failed in that. See, loving, because why? Is backstabbing loving my neighbor as myself? No, it's not. It's talking about them loving my neighbor as myself. No, it's not. Jesus is actually raising the bar because he says love one another, not just in any old way, not in a Scottish way, which brings you down. Oh, don't get above your station, son. Don't want you getting, you know, your head don't get so big, you'll never get out those front doors, son. We just, we'll just have to keep you uh, from, you know, getting above your station. No, he said, love one another as I have loved you. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let's listen to Rabbi Zacharias. Could I have the sound on, please? Law against law. Let's start again. No. 
But then the second questioner comes and wants to pit him law against law, ethic against ethic. Because Moses had given 613 laws. And so this man comes to Jesus and they couldn't beat him up against political authority. They tried to pitch him against religious authority. And they said to him, which is the greatest commandment? Out of 613, it is fascinating to me that Jesus did not select one. What he said was this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two laws hang all of the laws and the prophets. Why did he not give one? Because hinged on the one was the inextricable imperative of the second. You cannot say you love God and hate your neighbor. And the imperative to love God is because when you take all of the commandments and take the 10 of them which were key, if there's one word that the 10 commandments can be reduced to, it's the word sacred. Your life is sacred. Your property is sacred. Your marriage is sacred. Your time is sacred. And so is your neighbors. You cannot violate your neighbor's sacredness of right and tell that neighbor that you still love God. So when, when Jesus said, if you're on your way to the temple and you recognize that you've got something against your brother, forget going to the temple, son, you're wasting your time. Because if you've got something between you and a brother that's unresolved, if you've got some kind of difficulty or hardship or unforgiveness, first go and sort that because that's, uh, that's loving your neighbor as yourself before you come and do commandment number one, which is adherence to all the, the, the religious duties going to the, to the temple to worship. You know, Jesus was a lot more radical than, hey folks, just go to church once so we can sing some songs to me. He's like, no. Don't even bother coming here if you've got relationships in your life because that worship hits a cloud and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything because it's impossible to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul while we have hatred in our heart, unforgiveness, judgment, hardship in our heart. And that's why forgiveness was huge to Jesus. As a door hangs on these two hinges, so the whole Old Testament hangs on these two commandments. What does it look like to love God? Love your neighbor. And love for God was best demonstrated and authenticated by loving one's neighbor. You see, this was quite uh, a revelation to the Jews because ask any Old Testament Jew at that time, how do you love the Lord your God? It was vertical. It was I obey all the commands. The old covenant was, you better do all that I say or else. Don't think you're going to get any blessing unless you're doing everything perfectly right. My goodness, praise God for the torn veil. Praise God that he died upon the cross. Praise God we don't live under the old covenant 
and you must stop trying to live under the old covenant, only thinking God's blessing will come to you when you've got everything right in your life. Jesus fulfilled that. He lived everything right, and he gives it to you. That's called righteousness. It's called justification. And we could explain those words in detail in another message. But he gives you that freely as a gift, so God's blessing comes to you, not based on how good you are and how good you're fulfilling all the commands. It comes on how good Jesus was. Jesus is, is, is changing it and saying, how you love the Lord your God is love your neighbor as yourself. That's not what their priority was on. That's not what their focus was on. When you read the New Testament and you read about how hard and how harsh and how, you see, when Jesus tried to heal somebody on the Sabbath, you're like, but wait a minute, you're breaking commandment number one. And Jesus is like, wait a minute, linked commandment number one. If your donkey falls down a hole, would you not help it out of the hole? My goodness me, how much more. They had, they had put love for neighbor way down the pecking order of importance. And Jesus said, actually, you know what? It's the greatest. It is the greatest thing that you can do. It's the hallmark of my new covenant people. The hallmark of Jesus' followers is your love. So we need to become way more loving, and all of us can grow in that. All of us can grow in that. And Jesus is pointing out, and we'll do this in coming weeks, Jesus point. love's a verb, it's a doing word. See, I've not got the feelings, I don't feel like going and speak to my colleague. No, you don't feel like it, because we have we have the old nature within us. It doesn't want to. But Jesus says, not about feelings. When I say love your neighbor, I'm not saying you feel some sort of rosy, warm feelings about them. You just do it in obedience, even if you don't feel like it anyway, and you walk in that good blessing. Love well, for God was best demonstrated and authenticated by loving one's neighbor. This is moving from vertical. Jesus took faith from vertical to horizontal. that you can't isolate yourself as a Jesus follower. You can't just become a monk and hide away, and it's just about you and God. Hide away in your bedroom and just read your Bible and read stories and, and disregard people. You know, Jesus didn't say, if you're an extrovert, if you're this type of person, it's for all people. And you can do it within your personality. You don't have to change your personality. You can be shy, you can be introverted, you can be extroverted. But you know what? He said you can love your neighbor as yourself. It is possible. The, 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 the question would then become, well, who is your neighbor? And I've not got time to unpack this in great detail today. But we know another lawyer came to Jesus one day. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we have this uh, Jesus in the, the Good Samaritan parable. And Jesus said, what's your reading of it? And he was like, well, well he knew, didn't he? The rabbis had been teaching, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he had been listening to Jesus because he repeats Jesus' coupling and love your neighbor as yourself. So he repeats Jesus' coupling back to Jesus. And Jesus says, bingo, Yahtzee, you got it. Well done, you've nailed it, pal. Didn't quite say that, but that's in the abridged version. But um, he said, you've got it, well done. But the, I think the guy was possibly thinking to himself, well, uh, what's the minimum I've got to do to get eternal life? Who is my neighbor anyway? Because how a Jew at the time would understand neighbor would be somebody like them. It was fellow Jews. So they didn't have any obligation to love anybody other than their neighbor, their fellow Jews. 
that Jesus is going to redefine in the Good Samaritan parable who your neighbor is. And he's going to show them that it is somebody who is not like you. <laughs> and is this a message for today or what? How do you love people who are not like you? People that are atheists, people that don't have the same religious views, the same views on sexual orientation, the same views on um, priorities, on religion, irreligious, they may be of a different religion. Jesus is going to redefine neighbor in this parable of the Good Samaritan to be people who are not like you. And of course, the Good Samaritan, we've got these two guys who fail the Pharisee and the Levite, who should know better. They think in their loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, but actually, they fail. Because, and Jesus' new understanding, and their understanding, it wouldn't really matter. They've just missed the boy, that's not, they're, they're obeying all the commands, so they're, they're, they're dead set for eternal life. They're, they're, they're sorted, they're in the kingdom, they're, they're obeying all the commands. And Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The whole law, is uh, the greatest commandment, the second is like it, is to love your neighbor. And these boys have missed it, missed it, missed it completely. And he's going to redefine who neighbor is. And neighbor will include those who are completely dif different from us. I like what Philip Yancey says in Vanishing Grace. He says, the issue is not whether I agree with someone, but rather how I treat someone with whom I profoundly disagree. In today's culture and age in your workplaces, they're going to be people that you profoundly disagree with. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you treat them? Separation. If you separate and stay away, you're not following the example of Jesus Christ. Because that's what we do. We distance ourselves, sons. That's not my type of person. I'll just dis How are we ever going to influence people when we distance ourselves from them? Which of these three men loved their neighbor? He couldn't bring himself to say the Samaritan because the Samaritan and Jews, they didn't like each other, they didn't talk to each other, let alone touch each other. They wouldn't even, if they had to travel, they would go around Samaria. So when Jesus said the Samaritan, he was shocking them. The example was the Samaritan, not your Jewish leaders. The Samaritan has loved neighbor as himself. Therefore, he's loved God with all his heart, mind, and soul, because the way to loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul is to love your neighbor as yourself, because when you give a water to the least of these, my children, you do it unto me. The connection between your neighbor and God's heart is so close, you're doing it to God, Jesus said. You, your, your neighbor, because they're created in God's image, they're of value and dignity regardless. You know, Jesus said, give them a cup of water, even... I believe that means even if they never become a Christian, even if they never agree with your religion, and even if they never come to church, we are called to love them anyway. Love them anyway. Love them anyway. Just love. Just love. Even if they persecute, even love your enemies, Jesus went on to say. And then he says, go and do likewise. And Andy Stanley says, imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how we treated one another. A world where people were skeptical, and they are. People are skeptical of the Bible. They're skeptical of the church. They're skeptical of leaders. They think we're all out for their money, and we're just all oh, deceived and off our heads. And they're probably right in some cases. <laughs> there are some wackos in every church, in every congregation, in every religion, in every faith. You know what? They're skeptical. But 
what they cannot deny is how they love one another. Our greatest example, our greatest witness, I would say our greatest apologetic is how we love one another. Forget trying to win an apologetic argument with an atheist if they see in your life a hypocrisy where you're very unloving. So, finishing on this last story, um, Stephen Mansfield wrote a book called The Search for God in Guinness. And Arthur Guinness, 1725 to 1803, he was an Irish brewer and founder of the Guinness brewery business. You're thinking, oh, that's not very religious, that's not very holy alcohol now, son. What are you talking about? Well, back in that day, back in that day, drinking water was hazardous. It could end your life because they didn't have good sewage and all the rest of it. And there was a lot of problem with alcohol and gin houses. And so, um, uh, Guinness was seen as an alternative that would, was low in alcohol. It was nutritious in terms of packed full of vitamins. And because the volume was so large, it would take a while to get steaming. So, <laughs> that's my bit added in. He didn't say that in the book, but that's my interpretation, all right? So, it's going to actually help with alcohol problems. Not, uh, uh, he was an entrepreneur and, and philanthropist. And in 1752, he was bequeathed 100 pounds from his godfather's well. We used it in investment. And then from there, he started his own business with a brewery. Now, the reason I'm giving this example is because how we love our neighbor should uh, uh, affect everything we do. Let's listen to this incredible guy, okay? He was deeply influenced by John Wesley's teaching. And John Wesley says, make all you can, save all, all you can, and give all you can. And um, actually, Guinness was a bit depressed because at the time, his understanding of s spirituality, as taught by the Catholic Church at that time, is that the, the sacred... Um, and the secular were divided. So if you go to church and you do religious stuff, then that's holy. But what you do in your workplace, like running a brewery, that's nothing to do with God. And Wesley completely redefined that. He says, no, anything you do, even run a brewery, can be done for the glory of God. If you see your brewery is going to be a source of blessing, because Abraham's covenant was to be a blessing, a blessing all the peoples of the world. And he took that seriously and it revived them. It's like, whoa, I can use my brewery. I don't have to become a priest. Fantastic. They're all a bit strange anyway. I can just be a, <laughs> I can be a, a brewery guy. Yeah, you can be a brewery guy, Guinness. Go for it. And he lived at Wesley's radical teaching more than most. He believed the way you profited was by taking care of your clients and your workers. He believed basically commandment number two, which was to love your neighbor as yourself, and it impacted his workplace. He said, I'm an employer, and I'm going to take the great commandment, which is to love neighbor as myself, and I'm going to do it to my employees. Okay, listen to this. He started the first Sunday schools in Ireland. He took care of the poor. He founded hospitals for the poor, and he positioned his company to transform lives. It gets even better. Listen to this. He ran his company in a radical way. At the time, he paid 20% more in salaries than the most. Why? He was loving his neighbor as himself. He provided benefits for employees that would challenge accomplishments of Microsoft and Google today. He built homes and provided free housing for workers. Come on. Um, workers were not allowed to live in substandard housing. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's a great example of loving your neighbor as yourself for an employer. Nurses were sent to the homes to teach health, and it transformed poverty, sickness, and death around the geographical area, becoming a model for the rest of the city. It gets even better. Employees had a 24-hour medical care, 24-hour dental care, and on-site massage therapy. Come on. Yeah? I think he's loving his neighbor as himself. 
I think John Wesley's teaching had some impact upon him, and praise God for that, okay? The funeral expenses were paid for, pension was paid for with no employee contributions. Get with it, companies today, come on. Free education for children, free training and courses for their wives, libraries, reading rooms, and athletic facilities. I think he was loving his neighbor as himself. And here's one of the best bits, I think. Every employer should have this. And uh, um, trustees, can we review our contracts, please? <laughs> They paid, he paid for every family every year to have a day in the country and they paid for everything. The food, the entertainment, the train ride. He was loving neighbours himself. Can we give God some praise for Arthur Guinness? So, every time you have a pint of Guinness, Alan, I'm loving the Lord to God with all my heart and my neighbour as myself. Do it with, do it with a neighbour, all right? Okay? You'll never look at Guinness the same again. Never drink a pint of Guinness the same. What is the greatest commandment? Let's have the band back up. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? Jesus brought the emphasis of how we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and soul to coupling it with love your neighbor as yourself. If there's one thing the church should be known for, it's for our love for one another. In fact, Jesus even said that by this some all men know that you are my disciples. If you what? If you go to church every Sunday, <clears throat> if you know the Bible inside out, <clears throat> if you can quote 25 verses from the Old Testament, <clears throat> no, what did he say? By this all men shall know your disciples if you have love for one another. What is the main thing? The main thing is love. Love for God, love for neighbor. I tell you what, we've not even unpacked Jesus' next um, encouragement, which we'll do in, in following weeks, where he said, um, love, a new commandment I give to you. Wait a minute, we've all got, already got 613 Jesus, the last thing we need is another one, but he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. That wasn't new. This was new, as I have loved you. Jesus was raising the bar saying, listen, I've set the example of how to love one another, the grace, the kindness, the goodness, the belief. I've raised the bar. You know what? I actually think we could win to. Jesus actually spent time with them. <laughs> and uh, for those of you, of you who are more introverted than your personality, we need to work on that. Because quite frankly, sometimes I don't really want to be around people. <laughs> just want to be on your own. But Jesus has to transform our hearts. And he created you perfectly, including your personality. So if your personality is quiet, sensitive, shy, introverted, God can uh, use you to love your neighbor because there's plenty of quiet, shy, introverted people out there that probably love your company. And maybe certain ones that are not of that personality might irritate them because they do all the talking and maybe you're a good listener. So. You know what I'm saying, don't you folks? Love God, love our neighbor. Love God, love our neighbor. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, that you came from heaven to earth to model love. And we thank you that you made it so simple. What do I need to do, Jesus, to be a Jesus follower? Love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, we pray 
that as we draw close to you, that your power of your Holy Spirit would pour out your love into our hearts and give us a love for people that goes beyond feelings and emotion and just comes down to action. It's a verb, it's a doing word, regardless of our feelings. And as we do, you know what? The compassion, the empathy, the love comes into that situation. Lord Jesus, would you come? If you're not a Jesus follower, or if you're just a church goer, Jesus is calling you today to become his follower. It's the revolutionary way that he began at Easter, it's a new creation. He draws you to become a new creation. Believe in him, he died on the cross. He took the punishment for all the wrong and the sin that we have done. And he welcomes us into his family. You can just repeat this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for all the things I have done. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. And today I want to become your follower and I want to join your community, your family, which loves you and loves their neighbor. We want to transform the world through your love in Jesus' name. If today you said that prayer, become a Jesus follower, become committed to the way, come here, take your time, grow. Jesus is patient, God is patient. Did anybody, just with every eye closed, anyone say that for the first time today? Just put your hand nice and high, we've got a little bag. Thank you so much, we've got a bag to give you. Um, anybody else? Um, anyone else just say that? That's it. Follow Jesus, folks. Keep following him. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I've got a little bag to give to you. And uh, there'll be a team at the back that will give that to you. And uh, they can share that with you. If, if you didn't put up your hand, please. But you did say that prayer. You're too shy. Just take a gold bag up the back. Um, they're on the table at the back. Folks, it's a great day. Let's, shall, we, shall we worship? Shall we praise God? We thank God today for Callum's incredible new lungs. He's faithful. He's good. And we can trust him. Amen.